Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. After you close on a house and sign on it, the mortgage company can't come up later and raise the price and jack up the interest rate and then threaten you that oh, if you don't pay, then we will in- invalidate the agreement and we're going to take your house away from you. They can't do that. Paul was trying to say that the covenant of salvation has been established. It has been authored. It has been signed on. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The salvation package is done. It has been set. So Paul was saying, if you already understand how business deals are done, you understand that when you sign on it, it's agreed on, it is confirmed, it's set. Why do you suddenly think that you can now add new terms to the salvation covenant by adding works to it? You can't do that. It's already been confirmed. It's already been set. So he said, you already understand that in a business deal, No one annuls it, which means nobody can say it's cut off now. The mortgage company can't steal your house away from you after redoing the terms. Paul says it's the same thing with the gospel message. Jesus died. He paid it all. It is finished. Nobody can add or take away from that. It's a sealed deal. It's done. Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Okay, so the works-based people, they would have said, since the promise of salvation was made to Abraham so long ago, way early in history, that means the law had to come later to update the terms. See, people were saying, oh, Abraham's day, that's so long ago, that's so irrelevant. We need the law now to patch things up. It's kind of like your computer. It gets old and it starts to bog down. Things start to become wrong with it. Well, it has to download updates to keep itself running right. So they believed, the legalists, they believed that God had to update his salvation plan by bringing updates in, bringing the law in, because they thought God could not hold a promise that long. (laughs) Okay. Abraham was such a long time ago. God, you can't keep that promise. We're going to put updates. We're going to bring the law in here. Paul addressed that wrong belief. He was saying, no, when salvation promises were made, he had said they were made not just to Abraham, but also to the seed, to Jesus, who was who is Christ. It was made to Abraham and Jesus. So Paul pretty much just shot down the belief that the law was sent as an update to make salvation a new plan, like an updated keep up with the times kind of plan. Paul said salvation worked exactly the same way back in Abraham's day as it still does today, right now. It's the same plan, justified by faith. Galatians 3.17.
And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Friends, your salvation is bound by promise, and not by no promise of a man, it's by the promise of God. So he said that just because 430 years had passed by, that doesn't mean God can't keep that promise. So the legalistic Jews, they thought, you know, it's too old. It's not relevant anymore. We're going to add works to those terms. We're going to make salvation what we think it is. Remember, I asked you, what would you do if your mortgage company insisted that after you pay more expenses on your house, after you already signed the agreement with them and they demanded you abide by these terms anyway, what would you do about it? You'd take them to court. No way, Bubba. Let's see what the law says about this. You're not going to hold this over me. So here in Galatians 3, Paul was dealing with people that tried to add more work to the salvation covenant that had already been confirmed and set by Jesus. So what did Paul do? He held them to the law. That's why Paul quoted Deuteronomy. He went to the law. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. The law said that. He took them back to Genesis. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul held these unbelievers that added works to the contract. He held these guys to the law to show the Gentiles that, hey, look, these false gospel guys, they cannot get away with this. They cannot jack up the rates. They can't add more expense to the terms. We're going to hold them to the law. Now, friends, I want to put you in the Galatians' shoes here for just a minute. They were Gentiles. They had never walked in the Mosaic law like the Jews had always done. That's why Paul even asked Peter in chapter 2, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews do? The Gentiles didn't know the law. And that's how it was so easy for these Jewish legalists to come in and manipulate the Galatians with a twisted up version of the law. It wasn't even the Mosaic law anymore. Remember, Moses got the law from the Lord God. They had taken that law and added to it and put new terms and twisted it all up so bad it wasn't even really God's law anymore. But they came to bully these Galatian Gentiles. Now you got to do all this to be saved. And the Gentiles didn't even know what the law was. They had never followed it. Jesus had established the salvation covenant. But once the legalists got their hands on it and they twisted it all up, then the Gentiles had no way to hold them accountable to the law because the Gentiles didn't even know what the law's true purpose was. They didn't have it their whole lifetime like the Jews did. They didn't know how to hold these guys to the law to prevent them from being pushed into something that was false. So Paul went into what the purpose of the law was for. He's trying to educate them what the law does in Galatians 3.19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So, friends, let me put it to you like this. Let's say you're at a park, you're kind of tired, and you see a park bench, and you want to sit down and get some rest, okay? But you walk up to the park bench, and you see a sign on it that says, wet paint, okay? You can't sit there now. 
that sign, the wet paint sign, was added because it would be a transgression, it would be a sin, it would be wrong for you to sit there with it being wet. So Paul said the law was added because of transgressions. The law was added to show us what sin is. In the case of the park bench, it is a sin. It's wrong for you to sit here right now, so don't sit here. That's what the wet paint sign was for. The law is to help us avoid trouble. Just like the wet paint sign was added to the park bench to help you avoid getting paint all over your clothes. And so without the law being added, we'd never know what sin is. Just like you would have never known it was wrong to sit on that park bench if it hadn't been for the wet paint sign. You would have sat down and got yourself in a mess. The sign was added to keep you out of a mess. Friends, the law of God was added to keep us out of a mess, to tell us this is a mess. Don't do this. Don't go here. The law was added for us until Jesus, the seed, the seed of Abraham. The law was added for us until Jesus should come to those who believed in him and those that got under the promise of salvation. The law was there until Jesus came. So that's what the purpose of the law is, to say this is sin. Do not do this. Don't sit here. Don't go here. Don't do that, whatever. That's what the law is to do, is say, tell us what sin is. Now, as for these mediators here that, the, that, that it came through, Paul indicated that the law was brought in through Moses. If you remember, Moses served as a mediator for the people. He spoke directly to the Lord. He got the stone tablets from God. That was our mediator there, just like we have Jesus Christ as our mediator between us and Father God. He is our mediator because we sinned, and God has wrath against our sin. We need a mediator to speak on our behalf to protect us. Now, I found another good verse on the law's purpose in 1 Timothy 1, verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners. Okay, the law is not for righteous people. The law is for everybody that blew it. Okay, and that's you and I because we all sinned, right? So I want you to notice how the Ten Commandments address sins. They address sin issues. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. It, it, the law is telling you how to what, what sin is. It's telling you what what's wrong, like the like the wet paint sign. Don't sit here. Okay. The law does not tell you how to be righteous. It tells you what not to do so that you don't transgress. It tells you what not to do to keep you from sinning, but it doesn't tell you how to be righteous. Now, this is why the law can't save, because it's not made for a righteous person. Okay, if we were totally, totally perfect, and I know there's some of y'all out there that think you are. <laughs> You're not. That's why you need a Savior. If we were totally perfect, we would not need the law at all. There's no point in having the law, because we're perfect. Okay, but we're sinners, and so because of transgressions, the law was added. But how is the law good for us? How, how does it help? Okay, back to the sign again. So let's say you saw the wet paint sign, so you chose not to sit on that bench. This means you avoided getting paint on yourself and damaging the bench. If you'd sat on it, you probably would have made the park guy, the park's employee mad because he's probably the one that painted it. Now you just messed his paint job up, but you avoided damage, okay? That means you used the sign lawfully, and it helped you avoid a mess. But you're still not getting rest because you still don't have a place to sit down. Paul said, the law was made for sinners. This means that in spiritual terms, 
we all saw, all of us, we saw the wet paint sign, but in spiritual terms, we sat down anyway. We saw it. We said, I don't care. And we did it. We broke the law. But Paul said the law was made for sinners. Let me put it in spiritual terms. That means we all saw the wet paint sign, but we sat down anyway, and it caused a big, big mess. Friends, we we knew not to sin, and we did anyhow, and it caused trouble. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And so all of us are lawless because we have all handled the law with ungodly insubordination. But the law was put there to tell us what sin is to keep us from a mess. We just decided, hey, I'll take the mess, and we got in trouble. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Okay, friends, just because the law can't save, that does not mean it stands against salvation. Paul was asking, well, what good is it then? Is it opposed? It's not. God gave the law, and he also gave the promises of blessing, but they do not oppose each other. They just serve different purposes. Paul said the law would have given salvation if everybody was perfect, but we're not. The blunt truth is we are not, we're just, we just blew it. We're sinners. We're not perfect at all. We're not capable of being perfect. When God's law was given to the Israelites, it gave them some blessings during their lifetime because it kept them out of some trouble, but it did not save anyone past this earthly life. It didn't, it couldn't grant eternal life in that matter. So if the law is not against God's grace, how can we harmonize God's law together with grace? How can they both be put together? How do they work with each other? Okay, even though the law can't save, it does point us to the gospel. The wet paint sign says you should not sit down on this park bench. But the good part about that is that it points you to find and rest somewhere else okay, I can't sit on this park bench, but apparently that means I got to find another place. The law tells us what sin is so that we can be guided elsewhere to finding salvation in Jesus Christ. If I can't get rest here, then I apparently need to find rest somewhere else. The law is going to show you, don't do this, don't do that. Well, where can I rest then? It's going to point you to Jesus Christ. So it says we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith. God would protect his people from a lot of the damage that sin would cause by holding them under the protective custody of the law. Now, many times the Israelites were sheltered from plagues and bad things that hurt other people simply because they followed the law. It protected them from damage. And so Paul said, after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. A tutor. It's like a teacher. Think back to when you were going to school and you had all these teachers that were above you, okay? But then came graduation day, and that's when you stepped over the line, the graduation line, to go out into the world and you left your teachers behind. The teachers were getting you ready for what was past the graduation line. 
so that you could go out and make your own living and do your own things, right? So once we come to faith in Jesus, that's when we graduate out from under the law and leave it behind to go forward into grace. Now, I can remember back to all my school teachers, and I remember all the times they told me how I did something wrong or don't do it that way so that I could learn how to do what was right. Okay, and some of my teachers were mean, I remember, okay? Well, the law is kind of like that mean teacher, right? How many of you can remember back to the mistakes you made in your life before you were saved, and you remember all the trouble that it caused? Okay, those tough times, that was the law serving as that mean teacher, that stern teacher that kept you under guard. They kept you under the guard of a firm education. They kept you for the faith that would finally enable you to do what was right so that you could graduate over to the grace of Christ. And after you graduate, you don't need that old teacher anymore because you've gone on past it. And so Paul said, after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Again, that wet paint sign, it's like your tutor. It teaches you don't sit here. But after you found another park bench to sit down safely, the wet paint sign is no longer your tutor because you have rightfully moved on to a better place to sit down. When you get saved in Jesus, the law is no longer your tutor because the grace of Jesus is a much better place to be. And then the grace of Christ guides you from there on into righteousness. So the law can't save, but it does prepare the way and it does guide us towards receiving the promise of salvation that Jesus Christ offers us through faith. So I hope you can see how the law is not in opposition to the promises of God. I I really hope you understand this because I'm telling you, I had the hardest time trying to figure out how to illustrate this part of the chapter. I had to dig down to the bottom of my toolbox. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. An heir is somebody that gets an inheritance, guys. And salvation is an inheritance that we get by a promise. It's sealed by a promise. So the Galatians had probably been bullied and threatened into believing this false works-based salvation. So Paul said, God shows no favoritism. And Paul wanted to repeat to the Gentile Galatians that when you're justified by faith, then we are all one in Jesus Christ. There's no hierarchy. Nobody's superior, nobody's better, nobody can say, I'm a Jew, I'm better than you, you need to do like I do. Hey, we're one in the family of God. So in closing, I think it's important for us to remember that the Lord will remember what he starts. The Holy Spirit is not our cue to start working on perfecting ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God, the Lord himself, he is the one who perfects us. All of our imperfection all of our sin. That all got dealt with on the cross. We don't deal with that. Jesus took care of that. When Paul spoke about a cursed person hanging on a tree, he quoted from the law in Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. 
So again, you can see how the law was not for the righteous. It's for sinners. It's added for transgressions. The law spoke condemnation here. Hang that man on a tree. Friends, Jesus Christ hung on a tree. He was hung by nails on a wooden cross. But Jesus committed no sin. You might be wondering that. So how how did the law condemn him? How did the law condemn Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Friends, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus became our sin, and he hung on a tree to die for the sin, to die that death that we deserved, just like the law demanded. And since Jesus died with our penalty and rose again, he beat it all. He defeated every bit of it. If you believe in him, in Jesus by faith, then God will justify you. He will proclaim you righteous. And that's when you graduate out from under the tutorial of sin to now being taught by grace. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Friends, the law says the guilty have to die. You messed up, you got to die. You got to, you got to pay for it. You're dead. But friends, Jesus died for us. So if you believe in Jesus by faith, then your death penalty gets transferred over to him so that he dies with it instead of you dying with it. If you truly believe in Jesus by faith, God will justify you. He will proclaim you righteous, no longer guilty under the law. That's good news. Romans 8 verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Friends, I'm so glad to have grace. I'm so glad it's not on my works because I'm not good enough, and you're not either. We all sinned. All of us have messed up. And Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Can you imagine somebody boasting, oh, look how great I am? Imagine it was, was me. Oh, I'm a pastor. I have a radio show called Set for Life. Look at all the wonderful stuff I did. Surely I'm going to be saved. That's bragging. That's boasting. It's not by works, lest nobody should boast. God took your right to brag away from you because Jesus did it all, not you. Friends, I want to ask you, have you given your life to Jesus? Are you running through that hamster wheel, trying your, just <laughs> dying to try to keep up, and you can't? And you just feel, I just can't cut it. Well, you can't. You can't do it. Everybody says, oh, keep on going. You'll get there. No, you won't. This is why we need a Savior. This is why Jesus came and died for you. Pray with me, would you? You can be saved. Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I violated your law, and I'm guilty. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place to pay for me the damage I caused. I accept that gift. I'm thankful you bound it by promise, and it cannot be annulled. It can't be taken away. Nobody can add to it. It's done. And so out of that gift, Lord, out of thankfulness, I will follow you. I will obey you. I leave my old life behind. Thank you for completing the work you started in me. Thank you for salvation. Oh, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. Thank you. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.